fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, then talk about Trump's galaxy brain attacks on Iran with my friend Caitlin. Sorry? How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing okay. Um, I'm a little cold still from the outside. Yes. We just got back from a protest and uh, I didn't have boots. Just <laughs> And I had boots, but they were fashion boots. So yeah. pretty much the equivalent of your running shoes. I think I, you might have had a bit more. Uh... No, it was freezing. Well, yeah. it hurt <laughs> <laughs> like a lot. It was fun. Well, we'll talk. I think it's actually with the we're we're going to be doing two episodes in a row here, so we might talk about uh, the protest in the next episode. And so I'm not going to lay down any surprises. Although anyone who follows us uh, follows us on Twitter will already know what we did. <laughs> so follow us on Twitter for spoilers. Yeah, uh, at Imperial News with a Z. Anyway, so before we get into it, there was a side story that I think is important to cover, which is that the individual behind the Anti-Racist Canada blog, who I have often used as a resource on the show, uh, was doxxed. Uh, and Kian Bext, in particular, played a role in spreading it to the world. And it even got picked up and shared by individuals like Michelle Malkin and Dinesh D'Souza. So that was pretty terrifying. <laughs> So he's now open with his name. So hello, Kurt Phillips. And he is in the process of handling or handing the blog off to others to continue the work. Kurt was actually in a recent CBC episode of the Fifth Estate. So it's probably worth checking that out. Uh, And he was there to talk about anti-fascist activism. Although when the show aired, his face was blurred because this was before his docs got leaked. I would just encourage people to go onto Twitter at ARC Collective and give him some words of support and solidarity because I can only imagine the swamp of bullshit that is overwhelming his social media right now uh, being shared by people with like large followings that are really toxic human beings. So, Also, the last episode of our Shakedown Breakdown podcast relied on a lot of the anti-racist Canada blog and their work, and I'm very grateful to the work he has done with the help of others, of course, to expose the far right. He also gave some minor corrections to the episode that we just released, so I will make those during the opening of Chapter 3. But he not only had this blog, but also listened to our episode and gave us some feedback, so that's really cool. And he's still helping. He It sounds like he'll be continuing the fight in another capacity uh, other than the blog, so that's cool. Uh, but I just wanted to give him a shout-out here and wish him all the best, because that sucks. Also, since this is the beginning of the month, we have some patrons to thank. Oh, yes. And we gained a lot of new patrons over the holidays, so thank you very much to all of you who support the show. It certainly helps me to stay motivated to do this, so thank you. And to start, let's thank our Laurentian Elite members. These are members who donate $5 a month. So thank you, Durka, Tim, Darren, Ryan, and Sarah. You are Laurentian Elites. You're talking about the Laurentian elites? Folding from Laurentian elites. Canada's Laurentian elite. We would also like to thank our very first, and so far only, foreign-funded environmentalist patron. love it. (laughs) Which is our $10 level of membership. So thank you very much, Nicholas. What's your message to world leaders today? Uh, my message 
is that we'll be watching you. How dare you! Thank I'm you, not. Nick. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. I'm not sure what nationality uh, <laughs> Nicholas is from, but I assure our listeners that his funding is from a different nationality than the one which he currently belongs to. As Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's a foreign-funded environmentalist. I'm just saying, if he's Canadian, it's not coming from Canadian sources. <laughs> we need accuracy on this podcast, so you better be getting foreign-funded. No, no internal funding at all allowed. So, but thank you, thank you again for donating to the show, and please join these fun people by becoming patrons of this podcast over at Patreon.com/ImperialNews. And now, the Imperial Roundup. At least you didn't say mashup or bop boop boop bop boop boop bop beep bop boop. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. We get back from the break. Ezra's done doing all of his really dumb review shows. And we're finally getting into some new content. And that begins on January 2nd, the day after New Year's. Ezra. Getting right into it. Not even like easing us into it. Nope. Nope. I mean, it's not like he has to do any planning for a show. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they actually have like strategic meetings while they (laughs) sit down and be like, what are we going to cover? I don't know. Or if he's just like, I'm just going to wing it. Just going to get in front of the, the thing and do my thing. Well, it seems like he doesn't even read news articles all yeah. the time that he's <laughs> quoting. So. Or he'll read one and then just misinterpret it. He'll read the title. Yeah. 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 So Ezra on this episode is discussing a BC court ruling regarding the LNG pipeline. Now, for those who don't remember, the LNG pipeline is the one which last year... Uh, the RCMP broke down that barrier that was on uh, Wet'suwet'en territory, and it became a huge thing, and we went to a protest uh, almost a year ago. Oh my god, today. that was so cold. That so was cold. very cold. It was brutal. The first day, we did two of them. The first day wasn't so bad. We just walked around downtown London and <laughs> blocked traffic. I don't know if you were present for that one. Yeah, no, I was. Yeah. Remember they had me hold that really big banner, and then I got some... Anyways, yeah, I just yeah. remember everyone was going in a circle in the main intersection and then to we, keep warm. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that one was uh, good. The other one was really cold because we marched over a bridge over a main highway. The impasse uh, on the highway. And it was cold. It was, it was like the cold. sign was whipping onto my face because it was so windy. And that's what made it so much colder was the fact that the snow was like just whipping. Well, and it was face. a heavy snow day, right? Yeah, it was yeah. It was brutal. But uh, yeah, protesting in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, at that protest, I was like, I think I might get arrested because there was like police officers following us the yep. entire time. And I was like, well, this is like a first. Like, I might actually get arrested. <laughs> and I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, but it, they didn't do anything. No. They just uh, blocked other traffic and, and let us go. So No, actually, they were very good about it. Yeah. Making sure we part, were yeah. safe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that was that was last year. And what has happened since is the... Hereditary chiefs went to the BC courts to try to uh, basically prevent this pipeline from going through. And so there was a temporary hold on the injunction against them. And that has now basically 
ended and the court extended the injunction towards the Wet'suwet'en individuals who are blocking the LNG pipeline. There's an issue here, and we're going to find out like as we go through how Ezra's going to talk about this, this weird distinction between cancel bans and hereditary chiefs and why there might be disagreements there. But basically, the hereditary chiefs are the ones that are very vocal about not wanting this pipeline to go through, and they were denied, legally denied, based on, on, on the court saying that they don't have any legal standing. And this gets really complicated having to do with the Indian Act. I guess the Indian Act recognizes council bans, but doesn't recognize hereditary chiefs necessarily. Yet internally to a lot of communities, they do recognize the hereditary chiefs. And so it's... Yeah. And, and let's be honest here, I'm not a researcher on this, and I'm not Indigenous myself, and so I don't know the ins and outs. It, it might uh, be useful eventually to get someone on to sort of like walk us through what's going on there, but I'm going to touch on a bit of that going forward. But it's just important to note here that a lot of what Ezra's going to talk about coming up in this is basically he doesn't understand it either. <laughs> As Well, I mean, he's Ezra, so of course he doesn't understand it. But... Uh, all we need to know is that basically the ruling came through, they're extending the injunction, which means that there quite possibly could be more arrests on uh, the Wet'suwet'en. Yesterday I was at London District Labor Council, and we have someone there that is kind of like a representative of the indigenous community. And she was saying that they use um, outdated yeah. policies. Um, and they're also talking about like the fact that they continuously update first nation status of like who actually counts as it yeah. so a lot of times like it, it will actually affect land use and who gets included in that and who who has certain rights and no the, there's there's a lot of issues no, there's <laughs> tons, there's indigenous tons, yeah. communities in canada and uh how basically our government has been screwing them since uh we well, not we, but like since since the settlers British have started came coming, yes. on this land, yeah. Oh, and the French. And the French, yeah. Let's not forget about those. <laughs> so, anyways, Ezra sees this as a victory, the court case, but of course he needs to complain about something. So his two main focus points are that the indigenous protesters are just rogue actors. So he wants to highlight these hereditary chiefs or as being kind of outside the norm, and he also wants to argue that the CBC is trying to hide this fact. So the CBC is being like corrupt manipulators because it's the media party exactly and i mean it, he doesn't really argue why the cbc would want to do that in this case but other than that they're lefties i guess i, I don't know it isn't clear to me through this episode why. it's <laughs> the media party jody it's what the do media you think yeah, just, there's no other all-encompassing evil they just, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter they're the media party they're the secret elite that are out to get you that's it. There you go. There's so, no other explanation needed. <laughs> so that's his thesis, and he lays it out. But then, like Ezra, he goes on a side topic, which is he begins discussing how great uh, liquefied natural gas is, <laughs> which is what the LNG pipeline is carrying. Okay. Yeah. And he says something really stupid about the pipeline's safety and its environmental impact. So this LNG project isn't just great for jobs in Canada. It also displaces more polluting sources of power in Asia, like Chinese coal-fired power plants, same in Korea, Taiwan, Japan. And here's the thing about natural gas, both in its gaseous state and in its liquefied state. Well, unlike oil, you can't really have a spill. It's gas, so it just mists into the air. There has never in history been a catastrophic LNG tanker accident, never once. Uh, but even if there would be, God forbid, 
it's not going to be like the Exxon Valdez where the oil mucks up the beach and, you know, gets ducks covered. I mean, God forbid if there were an accident, and may there never be one, well, the natural gas would just just evaporate. It'll just mist and evaporate. As if, like, the gas just magically disappears. <laughs> it's doing nothing. It just disappears into a veil of mist. <laughs> no such thing as carbon emissions. No. Well, so natural gas does, in fact, produce less carbon dioxide than coal per joule used or whatever. But relatively speaking, it still accounts for a large contribution of global carbon emissions. So when you take, like, all the natural gas that we use, uh, I think it's something like 5 billion... Megatons or whatever the the usage is, and then uh, coal and oil sit at ten billion each. So it still is less than them. But a lot of scientists argue that the more we switch from coal and gas or oil, we'll move more to natural gas, and it'll become like the top polluter. And the thing is, it might be better because we get more energy for less carbon in that sense. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't you rather move off of? carbon in the first place because like why should we be pumping more of this shit into the atmosphere when we're already probably reached our limit of how much should be (laughs) up there right so this this argument is just kind of silly but of course when ezra in this clip is talking about pollution he's not talking about carbon because for ezra global warming isn't real so he doesn't give a shit about carbon but he's thinking about more as like smog in china and stuff like this right or like like a hazard from because if you go back in time, when you read back, in, well, not travel back in time, but when you read history, build <laughs> <laughs> my time machine and uh, open it and go. The the early industrialization of cities, there was a lot of like issues with smog and lung diseases and stuff like this, and like we've moved far from that. And so, I agree, you don't want to be. It would be better to move off of something that's worse, so something that's creating smog in China to move off of it. And it might be the case that LNG, again, is better. But as, like, I'm trying to point out here, it's like when it mists, it doesn't go away. Like, it's still, <laughs> it still is uh, something to worry about. So I'm just going to go over some of the problems that you can have with gas. Gas leakage is quite common at, very, at every stage uh, of natural gas extraction. So you can have it during the extraction, the holding, the transportation, and then, like, use at your house even. So... All this leakage dumps methane gas into the atmosphere. It's not carbon, but for anyone who's a chemist or a climate scientist, methane is a way worse contributor to the greenhouse gas effect and therefore causes more warming than carbon. The one good thing is that methane uh, has a significant shorter life uh, span than carbon. So carbon will stay in the atmosphere for much longer periods. I think methane's uh, half-life is seven years, so... It'll go fast. But while it's there, it has 84 times the warming potential of carbon. So it's like one thing. It's like, okay, we're cutting down on carbon. But the more LNG you produce, the more methane could be leaking. And then you're putting more methane in and you could be exacerbating the warming effect. A lot of scientists talk about the melting of the permafrost. And so the permafrost up north uh, in Siberia and in northern Canada holds in a lot of like methane into the earth so as the earth warms and as the permafrost starts to melt it's just unleashing methane into the atmosphere and scientists are worried that this is going to create like a feedback loop that's going to destroy us 
happy but like so like we don't want to be contributing our own methane to this process to like exacerbate Extra methane. yeah yeah uh, but even if you want to talk about direct pollution, right? So Ezra eventually talks about how LNG does not create smog, which is kind of true. But the extraction process, which is often fracking, does pollute water sources. You have to use a lot of uh, uh, cancer-causing chemicals to like split open the rocks to to unleash the gas, and often you like use water to do it. And anyways, there there's tons of clips that you can watch of people lighting the water on fire. It's a uh, not a fun thing <laughs> to have if you live near an area that's fracking for natural gas. It's also caused earthquakes and other things. So tons of fun. So, I mean, like you can argue that, yes, okay, you don't have smog, but there, it's not like uh, there isn't other negative things that yeah. happen well, with the LNG. Also, he says that there's been no like disaster with, with uh, natural gas. That's not true. It's not true. I mean, there's tons of small disasters. Like there's, I mean, it's not frequent, but houses do leak gas and blow up and catch fire, and people have died from that. There's also many people have died from carbon monoxide poisoning. I was just, I was yeah. just thinking about <laughs> Don't worry, mine's on the wall. We're good. We're safe. Yeah. <laughs> thinking, um, I don't think you've seen it, but Midsummer. Mis- no. Midsummer? I don't know how you say it. But basically, at the beginning of the movie, that's how... Um, the main character's sister kills her whole family okay using carbon monoxide and like filling the house and yeah fun yeah. <laughs> not that we're giving tips to no, kill your I whole know. family that's, but yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. But yeah i mean that's why we everyone who has a natural gas stove or a natural gas furnace has a carbon monoxide detector in their yeah. house and so it's again not common that it happens but there have been accidents and people have died so now you have to go all the way back to 1944, but I did find some examples of like really bad explosions. So there was one, I think in Ohio that killed like 200 people when the plant exploded and you've had other like accidents where plants have exploded. But uh, again, uh, safety standards have increased since the 1940s. So they're not as uh, fatal, but I mean, it's, it's not like these things don't happen. So that being said, <laughs> as this whole argument here is that the use of liquefied natural gas is better than coal and oil, therefore we should be using more liquefied natural gas. But this is not a good argument if there remain other better sources of energy that aren't causing any problems at all. Arguably. I mean, like Jody, solar. Jody, the windmills. <laughs> I know, they're killing birds. They're killing people, too. The, the windmills? The they, windmills. They chase people down. I, I always hear this argument from the far right is that they don't have proper brakes and so they'll just spin off and kill people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've heard that. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Multiple times, actually. What? <laughs> so apparently, like, the windmill blades go too fast Jesus for the brakes to stop it down. <laughs> so it'll just pop off and keep, like, spinning out of control. What's the point of fighting this? It's so stupid. That is so stupid. I heard it multiple times. I remember uh, way back, I used to drive down south by Lake Erie, and you would see all the windmills there. And there would be signs of people complaining about the windmills. And they would have, like, websites like, stopwindmills.com. So one time I was like, (laughs) whatever, I'll check it out. And their whole argument was that the windmill itself produces, like, a low-level hum. And yeah. that causes like all kinds of headaches and stuff like this. 
but like that totally misunderstands the human anatomy and and like our auditory abilities because like the rustling of corn produces way less of a level I actually know someone um who's working on a on a project right now to make windmills more quieter. Right. I mean, yeah. that could be noisy, but I mean, it's the same thing. It's like, they're still quieter than say traffic driving by on the road. Yeah. Right. And so like, there's different like degrees of like, you know, it's those people that are in the small towns, right. Yeah. And they want like to hear nothing, like just complete silence. And yeah, even... you can never get there. Cause even the bugs are louder than the wind. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, it, it's really funny and hysterical that, um, but just think about like, we went to like a city council meeting and people were talking about like roads for a long time before the reason why we were there for that city council meeting. And people were talking yeah. about how like the road was so noisy and it really bothers us. And now you put the stop sign. So now you can hear all these cars like stopping Putting and, on their brakes. Yeah. And like honking yeah. at each other now. And like, so it's, it's just like the slightest little noise or inconvenience and they go nuts. So yeah. I, just to fill in, Caitlin and I went to a small town city council meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Basically they were trying to prevent a group building a, wedding efficient facility that was it going was like to officiate an, a summer weddings. well it was well it's going to inclusive. officiate all weddings yeah. but including gay weddings and that's just, when people just gay weddings no straights allowed <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome i think that's okay um <laughs> <laughs> straights have had it for too long <laughs> exactly um no it was because they had they officiated a wedding um between two women and then yeah. the town went nuts and then they were trying to use all the bylaws, zoning bylaws, in order to get this. Yeah. There's noise complaints. You know what's and, also yeah. horrible is they're trying to, like, ruin someone's startup business. Like, it was yeah. a couple who started it together and, like, put all the savings towards it. Yeah. And that uh, was just awful. So anyways, Ezra finally gets back uh, to his main point. So he's done talking about liquefied natural gas. He quotes a single CBC article and complains that it isn't uh, it's not until several paragraphs in the article before you learn that there's these cance- council bans and the bans are at least, quote unquote, supported the building of the pipeline. Okay. But the main article is focusing on the hereditary chiefs that are against it. Okay. No. Yes. No, that's a huge contentious issue because what you're actually having is people who say they're representing First Nations people and they're doing it for the economic purposes that those pipelines are bringing. They're they're giving consent for it. So they're saying we got your consent. But according to like First Nations people, that's not who gives consent. Well, some of these people are indigenous. So it gets really complicated. It's not that they're not indigenous. It's the fact that they're not the ones that they're supposed to be speaking to according to like indigenous I mean, that's that's where I don't yeah. feel like I have an ability to judge. Like, I, I don't know enough yet to like. No, I, I've like, yeah, actually yeah. read a couple of articles on this issue because what ends up happening is these people make calls on these issues and it's not actually representative of what the community wants. It's what they well, believe. It's com- well, it's because the council. So the council, what I know is the council bans were put into place by the Indian Act, which was in 1867 and established by the Canadian government. So there's a sense in which a lot of people don't see that as representative as the community as a whole because the community used these hereditary hereditary chiefs that were not... These council bans are determined democratically. They're supposed to be like a, a, an analog to what our own city councils are. That was like the whole point in putting it in place so that the Canadian government could more appropriately de- 
deal with like the reservations and stuff like this. Yeah. That was like the, the justification that they gave. And so the hereditary chiefs uh, gets passed down through lineages and they have their own processes of doing it. And I don't know that all communities do it the same way. But then here's the thing is like a lot of them respect each other. So when I was reading a lot of articles, it sounds like the hereditary chiefs respect the, the, the band uh, chiefs and vice versa. So it's not it's not always that there is this kind of disagreement between the two. No, I don't think that there's a disagreement. It's just the fact that there isn't consent. Like, like the Canadian government will see them as giving consent, but that's not how it works. The, well, the other part that confuses me, and again, so it seems like the bands have more, the band cancels have more to say about what's going on on the reservations themselves. Whereas some of the hereditary chiefs have more of a say to what happens to the rest of the territory that they, they still see as unseated, mm-hmm. which is why. So getting back to like the piece here, the reason why the CBC article is talking mainly focused on the hereditary chiefs is because where the protest is taking place is not on the reservation, but on unseated territory. And it's being protested by the hereditary chiefs. And they're the ones that filed the lawsuit right? or not filed the lawsuit, but like yeah, uh, made yeah. the appeal. Right. And so Ezra is mad at the CBC for saying you're ignoring the council bans. Like why aren't like oh my god? There's yeah, because it works bands. in his favor to what he <laughs> wants. That's the only reason <laughs> he's only, saying that. But it's like in reality, like you should think that like of course right now what the CBC cares about is the actual legal case, and the legal case did not involve the ban cancels whatsoever. And in fact, when you go back a year ago, when this was more in the news, the ban cancels were talked about more mm-hmm. in, in the news right but of course Ezra is solely he just reads one article and he's mad about how, like ignoring all of the history and context yeah, of of what this is being talked about right watch how uh, or we'll listen to how Ezra goes off on the CBC reporter the CBC author here is named Bethany Lindsay and I think she's the whitest woman in Canada other than people who suffer from albinism <laughs> Albinism. And she knows that the good kind of Indians from the CBC point of view are the ones who fight against oil and gas pipeline companies, and the bad kind of Indians in the CBC's point of view, well, I guess all 20 out of 20 Indian bands along the way are the bad kind of Indians. So Bethany Lindsay, who I don't know, uh, sees herself as some sort of great albino liberator. Uh, like Daenerys Targaryen or something. She knows whose side she's on. She's the great liberator who knows better for Aboriginal people than they know for themselves. That's why she mentions the law-breaking cranks by name and champions them in the story and ignores any Aboriginal person who she disagrees with who loves this pipeline. Is that bigotry? You're damn straight it's bigotry. I'm so confused to what he thought was bigotry, though. The the fact that... so his argument is that the CBC is only focusing on these crazy, crazy radical indigenous people and not the very sane supporting pipeline cancel bans. That's like, <laughs> and again, I gave you reason for why uh, uh, Lindsay or Bethany Lindsay covered the story the way that she covered it. Right? There's no reason to talk about the cancel bans in the particular story when you're talking about the court case that just happened. Yeah, there's just no reason to do it. Uh, but that's bigotry. But also, like, you have to look, talk about them. But not only that, you look at the moral framework that, like, Ezra's working on. Like, he spins the CBC uh, piece as saying that there's a good side and a bad side. 
when you read the piece, and, and you can go check it out yourself if you want, it's uh, uh, Bethany, or Lindsay Bethany, Bethany Lindsay, I can't remember uh, what he just said, but uh, you can search it and you can find it, and it's very new, like, it doesn't use any moral language in the whole thing. It's just like a laying out of information, which is what the CBC often does, right? And you can argue whether or not that's neutral. She probably made choices and how biased they are and all that fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, no news is perfectly right. neutral. But at yeah. the end of the day, she's just like, here's the court case. This is the, the aggrieved sides. And here's a bit of background information. And that's it. Like, that's... <laughs> But apparently this is uh, albino liberator here is picking sides and like being super morally not neutral. <laughs> but notice that Ezra says that the cancels like at the end of that clip, he also says the councils love this pipeline. That's how he frames it. However, I wanted to see what the council said when they were making the decisions. And so I went back and read a bunch of pieces from around the time when this was first being discussed. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what the community members say about the pipeline, it isn't a ringing endorsement. It clearly doesn't come from a place of love. So take, for example, Joseph Skin, who is a member of the Skin Tai Band. And he describes the poverty on the reserve and then says, decisions like this never come easy. Yeah. I'm not going to say it was easy because it was very difficult. But like I said, the people who are concerned about our decision, they should come to the reserve and live in these conditions themselves and then have to weigh on a decision like that. So you can see they're put in this position where there's a lot of poverty and they see this as like, well, what else are we going to do? Yeah, but that's my point I was trying to make before, yep. that it's not so much like they're fighting against each other. It's just... I know a lot of the council bands were going and saying that there was economic benefits to their community. And because of that, they were willing to give consent for this. Right. That's what I was understanding it. Not that they think this was a great project and absolutely approved of it, but due to the fact that people are really struggling. And I also know they've been offered a lot of money for, for permission to do this on that land. So right. like the community, not that yes. person. Yeah. Um, like it's not like bribes. Right. So, I mean, but there's often, so it's, it's can be worse than that. So for example, here was another individual, Ray Morris, who is a former chief of the Nitai Bun band. And he defends the decision by reflecting on what an elder said about a previous pipeline that was put through. And what that elder said was he was with us when Enbridge first came around and he said, you can't beat this big company. Get the best deal you can for us. And that's what we did. I mean, it's kind of sad hearing that, though. It is completely depressing reading that stuff, because what the what they're admitting to is that they're put in a position where it's like they're like, we can't win. We're going to fight this. We're going to fight this. And the Canadian government and these companies are going to do whatever they want. We might as well get what we can out of it. Yeah. Like that, that is not the sound of, of anyone who's in love with this pipeline. That's the sound of a desperate people who've been put in a shitty position. People who feel defeated. Right. But then Ezra ends the segment with his best argument yet. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and uh, here, here we go. go. But the most important thing, and I know this and you know this, but people who rely on the CBC for their worldview don't know this. It's to realize how fake and fraudulent opposition to the oil sands and pipelines are. This is natural gas, but it's the same opponents to all of it. They're fake. It's a few actors and lobbyists with high-priced lawyers. Most of it paid for out of the U.S. No normal person wants to stop pipelines. I know this because normal people realize that pipelines are normal. 
you have several pipelines going into your very own home. You have a dangerous and explosive pipeline. Natural gas for your stove. And you have a toxic pipeline. Hey, your sewer pipe. You see how absurd it is to call something so banal, so normal, like a pipe? So safe, so ancient, really. I mean, the Roman aqueducts were pipes. Dangerous, toxic. Well, you have to be as stupid as a CBC reporter to believe that. That's right. <laughs> pipelines are fine because they're pipelines in your house. Checkmate. <laughs> they're not. I got, I got some plumbing. <laughs> it doesn't carry gas, but it carries water, so... Yeah, but they're toxic because he said they carry out sewage on their on the way out. I don't know. He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> Pipelines are fine because they're in your ass. That's it. We all know that. Look, we're, we're right now recording in a basement and I see a bunch of pipelines. Pipe. And Ezra's right. None of them are killing me right now. So therefore, we should never be concerned about any other future pipelines. You know what? We, someone should put like a pipeline filled with just like shit and like attach it to Ezra's home. And when he starts complaining about it, be like, what? It's a pipe. <laughs> Pipes. <laughs> and you got them all over your house. You can't. <laughs> stop. Your laugh's just making this funny. <laughs> stop it. Oh my God. He's a fucking idiot. Oh, I hate Ezra. <laughs> I can't think of the type of fallacy it is. Can you? It is so bad. I have a hard time. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's like begging the question or. No, because it's it's not a circular argument. It's almost like an a, an appeal to something. It's like an appeal to like, hey, there's a lot of these and they're normal, therefore it can't be bad. But I don't. Is that I a can't. straw man? It's not quite a straw man either. Uh, not like well, if anyone knows what the fallacy is, hey, I am. There, no, there, it's like <laughs> it is. It is like an example you could use in a philosophy class to show. Yeah, I'm sure if it, like if if I wasn't asked on the spot here, I know it's definitely not a straw man. It's not begging the okay. question. Okay. Then Ezra interviews our very own favorite Joel, <laughs> and they begin. So again, he's the editor of Breitbart, Joel Pollock. They begin talking about the protests outside of the American embassy in Iraq. Now, it is important to remember that on January 2nd is before the assassination of Qassam Soleimani. So Ezra and Joel are mostly breaking down how the left was trying to frame this embassy protest as Trump's Benghazi. And for those who don't remember, Benghazi was an embassy in Libya that got uh, attacked and the Republicans basically dragged Hillary Clinton through the mud for years over it and potentially had some effect of costing her the election. However, Joel says something that is super, I don't even know what to say, but like super weird in context, what we know happens the next day. So let's just listen to this. Oh, is it like predicting something that did happen? No, it's more just like, well, you'll hear, it's more Joel being wrong than a prediction. Okay. So Iran has to find some way to weaken Trump. Now, there's one way of doing it uh, domestically and one way internationally. The international version of this is to try to separate Europe from the United States and particularly continental Europe because the UK is more or less on America's side when it comes to policy with Iran or against Iran. So the Iranian regime would like to make it look like Trump is marching the world toward war, that this 
sanctions policy he has is really just a first step toward a repeat of another uh, disastrous Middle East incursion. This is just the third Iraq war, and the rest of the world is going to suffer for it. So if he can create the impression that Trump is on a hair trigger and is just ready to fight, then he can start to create a wedge between the Europeans and, and the Americans. And Trump wisely has not allowed Iran to do that. So if you catch that, what Joel is saying is that Trump, uh, I, Iran really wants to like push Trump into conflict with them. Yeah. But Trump is wisely not doing that so that he can keep all his allies on his side. Now, we know the next day Trump makes a really stupid decision, assassinates this general, and all hell breaks loose, and yeah. everyone thinks we're going into war for a few days. Now, World War Three specifically. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even just like, it wasn't just like America going to Iran. It was like the whole Middle East ver versus the West. Every time Joel and Ezra get together, they try to frame Trump as being this like really brilliant strategic thinker. He's like playing four-dimensional chess. He's like on the ball. And so you're going to witness this really interesting contrast between, and especially like in future episodes coming up, that in this, you can hear that they basically frame what Trump was doing previously to the assassination as very strategic. And he's really thinking. And he's, you know, working with our allies and he's not making a mess of the situation. Which is a weird contrast because I would not describe what Trump just did in Iran that. <laughs> and But they're going to have to spin it in the next few episodes and be like, no, like that was also strategic and well thought out. And he's still super, it was They're a They're going to be like, he killed chest. a terrorist, he did a good job, fear-mongering bullshit. We'll get into it. But the point is, is like, they can't, they're so bad at- Predicting? Predicting or discussing, like, even strategically thinking. Even one of the guests we're eventually going to get to in a future episode basically says to Ezra, it's like, Trump has no strategy. <laughs> And yet still, like Ezra talks about Trump as if he's this, the art of the deal. He's working out deals. He's, he's negotiating. He's figuring all this stuff out. And how can anyone think of, think that that's what Trump is actually doing after what happened these last few days? And especially, like, I don't know if you heard, today, I think it was today or yesterday. It might have been yesterday. When they got back, some of the Congress people uh, and senators got back from a briefing. Okay. And basically, like, this was the most embarrassing justification even Republicans were coming out saying this, that the justification for assassinating Kassam was so embarrassing that there was no evidence that there was an attack coming. There was nothing. They just did it like it was. <laughs> and so, like, for anyone to walk away from this going that Trump really thought this through and. No, I, I'm just like shocked. I, I'm, I'm mainly just shocked because, like, I know people right now who are actually like really affected by this situation. And it's it's really heartbreaking when well, I, politicians do things that affect so many other people's lives, because I know people that have family like Annie Ron and they're scared. I've, I just went to a vigil yesterday and I mean, I, I'm sure we're going to talk about this more in depth. No, we can talk about it now. I mean, no the plane crash isn't, I mean, it is related. Yeah. Like they just confirmed that a missile did hit that plane and killed 176 Canadians. So for those who don't know, um, I think it was yesterday it happened or the day it, there's a time difference. That's why. So a plane that was heading to, to Canada, which the plane was actually 
redirecting a lot of people because they couldn't enter the states because of the economic sanctions placed on Iran and Iraq from uh, Trump was shot down as it left two minutes from the airport. And they've just actually found footage of a missile, like a physical missile. You can yeah. see it in the video hitting the plane. And they're saying that it could be the Iranian government. Some ones came forward and or U.S. intellectual uh, intellect. Intel, Intel, Intel. Yeah. I don't know where it's going <laughs> with that. Yeah. yeah, intelligence. Yeah, um, uh, they they're saying that it was a miss, a mistake. Like it yeah. was a mishap. They thought it was something else, and they wanted to shoot it, and that that could be the reason why. And I mean, like, it's not directly Trump's fault that that happened, but it definitely is indirectly in the sense that if he didn't escalate the situation that the Iranian government would have had no reason to shoot down that plane or right. feel the need to be on, on, guard, on guard and uh, alarmed. And it killed everyone on that plane. And about, they said 60, 66 or six, somewhere around there were Canadians. And then uh, 136 of them were actually coming to Canada. Um, so some people were coming maybe to like go reunite with family because they want to leave Iran because of things escalating and I don't know to me that's just like super heartbreaking and well, others were coming for school so f four of them were four of them were yeah. PhD students at Western University some of my friends actually knew them personally yeah. and I went to this vigil to show some support for my friends that were very very upset and you you go there and you could see how many people actually knew these four individuals which is like wow that's it's crazy yeah. to think that you're kind of like connected to these people that happen in these like big geopolitical events. Right. Cause that's what this is a part of. It's not just an accident. Um, but it was, you could just see it. Like a lot of people were broken. They were upset. There is like people sobbing in this vigil and like some people who didn't even know the people felt scared and they were actually coming and talking and saying that I'm just scared for my family. I have family in Iran. I know people that live there. I'm scared for them. I've been trying to call them, trying to see if they're safe. And it's just, I don't know. Like we talk about these things, we dissect the politics, but they have like real consequences on people's yeah. lives. And it's, it's really heartbreaking that it's like, I think two really horrible governments and two horrible regimes are, you know, it's it's like two men, you know, going at it for a power play, right? Who's who's the most, you know. And, and like there's an extent to like, it's hard not to both sides it in this instance because of some of the things that the Iranian government has done. And I, I stand in support with a lot of the pro-democracy fighters in Iran who who have been fighting to make their government better. And this isn't going to help them. So for all the posturing about wanting to spread democracy into the Middle East, like... It's the it's, complete opposite. It's everything no. that happened back in 2003. And yeah. it's just such utter bullshit. And I'm really and So my point is, like, like just to finish my thought there, like, this yeah. whole, like, both sides bullshit, this did not have to happen. No. This particular stuff did not have to happen. And this particular stuff is totally the fault of President Trump and his decision, so... No, he definitely... Yeah. He escalated things way too far. He's pulling, you know... Again, 2003, all over again. Yeah. Uh, we're going to liberate the Middle East. It's for a democracy. It's for their own safety because, you know, we have to get rid of terrorists when it's <laughs> never about that. It's about spreading their imperialist regime onto other countries. And I'm not saying that Iran is a perfect country. I'm not saying that they do anything to their citizens that's not, and, it's okay. Like they're not a great government in themselves. 
And I'm even annoyed by the labeling of Kassam a terrorist because at the end of the day, he was a general of a government. And you could, and if, like, how do you measure that? Like, when does it become terrorism? Like, the amount, well, I mean, yes, that is, that is really what's going on here. But, like, if you're going to start drawing these, like, arbitrary lines, is it the amount of, like, deaths that they've killed? Because, like, let's be honest, a lot of American generals have blood on their hands. Are they just up for, for grabs now to be assassinated? Like, where, where do you make that calculation? And is that a calculation you want to start making? Which is why it's such a stupid fucking decision for, for someone like Trump to make. And, like, they're saying that they gave Trump, like, several decisions, and he chose that one. Like, don't give him fucking decisions like that. Like, he's an idiot. And, like, he, he's not thinking through any of these implications, which means that we have an insane person at the wheel, which, like, I've known all along, but, like, I'm hoping that this maybe will start, like, drilling I, in the people. I just hope that the American public... Like some people who are more Republican leaning, because I even know, yeah. you know, like with incidences with Bush the Jr. and Dick Cheney and stuff, people started, even that were like wholehearted right. Republicans were even saying like, this is fucked up. This is horrible what they're doing. Um, and I'm really hoping that people don't repeat those mistakes. Like they might wake up during this next election and be like this, we need to get rid of this guy. Um because we'll see, we'll see. I, <laughs> I know i, I like know. i i ebb and flow through like hope and just like i've been seeing yeah. some really horrible posts on twitter and facebook as well like i saw a post just today it was like a guy showing a picture from the 1970s before the iranian revolution and it's like girls dressed in like a short dress and they have like that 60s flip kind of hair yeah. And, you know, they look pretty modern for, like, the 60s era, kind of 60s, 70s era woman. And then it shows them today and it's, like, a niqab, which is, like, if you know anything about Iran, like, there are women who definitely wear the niqab, but that's, like, a very small selective group of people. And they actually just got rid of their hijab, the mandatory hijab. Um, Yeah. So that's not even a thing anymore. And even when they had it, most girls would just wear, like, a little scarf in their hair like it wasn't like a full-on you know niqab like he they are depicting it and the person posts this photo to justify why it was okay to kill those people that were in the plane oh, jesus christ <laughs> I was well like, because like i was gonna say like there there are perfectly good arguments that one can make about the existence of patriarchy in iran and the oppression of women in the iranian state you can make those arguments and some of them I'll trust from other sources, some sources rather than others that are clearly like of a biased nature. Uh, but but even those pictures of the women, because I've seen that image, that image comes up all the time. That was during the Shah, which was the military dictatorship that was installed by the U.S. after they basically yeah. helped the coup to get, get rid of uh, Mossadegh yeah. before. I think it was Mossadegh. I hope that's right. But yeah, so that was the Shah. And while those women in those pictures get to pose in those magazines, they were extrajudicially killing people and torturing people in prisons. So it's like to to somehow say that, like, look, Iran used to be like free and loving before the the, uh, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini took over, right? Mm -hmm. That's not even true either, right? Like it was shitty because America has been fucking with them for years. Yeah. Uh, it's It's not Islam that's the problem here. Right. No, it was never it was never that. But I just yeah. thought it was really disgusting that this person just decided to say like 
you know, like look at their culture, their way of life. It's okay if they die. Like that's, that was the point they were trying to make, which was like, even if that is their way of life, no one deserves that. Like, but that's that's what it is. I mean, we see it when we go to the Pegida rallies too. The people like, they're going to bring Sharia. It's like this whole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, there, there, there definitely are a group of people that think like people deserve to die because they might influence you and make us. Go bring the brownness near me. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah, so, um, fuck Trump, basically. That's <laughs> We'll try to, like, wrap up this segment. No, now. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I mean, a we hot can go topic. On, we can go on and on forever, and I'm sure, like, everyone's probably like, everyone's beating this dead horse for, for the past several weeks <laughs> or week. It feels like it's been, like, a year, uh, but it's been a week. Anyway, so Ezra then talks about the Afghanistan papers, and this was really interesting to me, so I don't know if you're familiar with the Afghanistan papers. This trove of documents from the beginning of the Afghan wars come out and basically show that there was corruption and other shit going all the way back to the Bush administration. And Ezra, like, agrees with this and criticizes the Bush administration. So, interesting. Just to to note, credit where credit's due, Ezra at least trusts the documentation that's come out and is critical of the Bush administration. Cool. But then... Joel responds to this with a really racist thing to say. Look, Afghanistan was never going to be Switzerland in Central Asia. And Americans have known for quite some time that the society there is not going to build itself into anything like what we would consider stable or even modern. The economy there is dependent on opium, and that's not going to go away anytime soon with big markets in the United States and Europe. So Afghanistan has structural problems. It's, it's never been a friendly place for conquerors. We, we've done better than most, certainly better than the Soviets did. Uh, but the, the region just doesn't respond to the kinds of interventions politically, not, not even just militarily, but politically. Militarily, it's bad enough. And you're fighting uphill most of the places there. But diplomatic... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I kept it going just a little oh, bit, just little just bit just to get phone. the yeah. yeah. Uh, reminder that we have a twenty dollar level on our show, which is Joel's annoying interrupting cell phone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you can become a member at that level. But notice that like he's basically saying that there's and, and he waffles a bit and he walks it back kind of, but he's basically saying that there's something inherent to the character of Gana, of Afghanistan that makes it like immune to democracy. Like it just can't do it. They're like pre-modern uncivilized brutes that just can't be you, you know, tamed in a way. What I was thinking when he was talking about that is there's this quote in George Richard's uh, McDonaldization and it says, uh, the U.S. has never invaded or went to war with a country that doesn't have a McDonald's in it. It's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and it's just this idea that the U.S. is okay with invading countries that don't adhere to its imperialistic demands and like want to adhere to its way of life. And it's, to me, it's just such bullshit. Like, it just drives me nuts. I mean, like, I'm not saying these co- like that it's a perfect society. Yeah. That's the idea. It's just the fact that we feel the need. And I'm saying we because North America, Canada is just as much a part of this um imperialistic takeover of these countries and it's just wrong it's just so wrong it's like you yeah. just fucking stop don't get yeah. involved like yeah. <laughs> and or don't get involved by just dropping bombs on brown people uh, i'm just saying yeah. like as a country and the people yes. that are leading countries like 
stay the fuck out of other countries. <laughs> Let them Please. make their own yes. decisions. Unless if it's absolutely affecting you, which it's not, like, fucking stay out of their own country. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of this is this, like, you know, the the Samuel Huntington's clash of the... Yeah. Clash, clash, clash of, of the civilizations. civilizations. Yeah. Um, this idea that the East versus the West and one's got to prevail. It's like one has only been prevailing. Yeah. So you you just it's it was never an equal fight. It was never this, you know, head on head fight. It never existed. It's something you've made up, you've sold to people and they're buying into it. Now you feel like you have to, you know, defend your country. And on top of it, it's also class based because then you're sending usually poor men off to war. And a lot of people who sign up are well, there are people who are super patriotic patriotic and want to defend their country, but a lot of people do it for the the monetary benefits that come with it. Yeah. And that's what's disgusting about all of this. Speaking of things we need to get rid of, uh, Ezra has something to say about the RCMP. They're extremely political. That's why I think that Alberta and, frankly, every province should get rid of the RCMP. Why would you allow your provincial police force, at least in the rural parts, to be operated by Justin Trudeau out of Ottawa? What? Saves a few bucks. <laughs> get rid of the RCMP. Crazy that anyone who's trying to uphold the rule of law for a resource project would rely on Justin Trudeau's personal police force. I love like he landed on the abolish the police <laughs> position. But you it's want to hear something that's really totally really wrong good. reasons. So I went to uh, we have this activist professor named Dr. David Heap, and he basically last minute invited me to this like they had the Minister of Transportation, I think, who also was helping support Israel and their- uh, Is this Jeff Urich? Not Jeff Urich. No, that's MPP. Over? It's oh, okay, uh, MP. Uh, um, he's I not even remember. He's not even from London. I don't even know really the details because he was like driving up to my place and he was like, get in, we're going to protest. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so I get into his car and then he's basically, didn't even tell me any detail of what we were protesting. He just was just like, do you care about apartheid in, in Israel? Do you care about Palestinian kids who are going without food and water, Kayla? I was like, I, I do. And then he's like, well, we're going to go there. We're going to shout at him. And uh, we're going to shout at him about these injustices that I didn't really have a great background about. Um, so we finally get to this protest and they're like, okay, okay, you're going to shout out stuff about what he did wrong. I don't know what he did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but we trust David. It's no, no. Yeah, yeah. David, I'm not trying to discredit David. David actually <laughs> No, I'm just saying you probably Palestine. wouldn't have, Yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have went if it was just some random being like get in, right? Um yeah. no, David's gone to Palestine. He's helped um provide relief for some people there that were in yeah. dire need of like shelter, food, water. He's also ex from what I heard experienced a lot with the Israeli army. Um but while we were there, what ended up happening is David shouts something out. I still don't know the context and I'm supposed to shout out something. But by the time David shout out something to interrupt this guy's speech, the RCMP has came and is dragging David off. <laughs> <laughs> and then they brought someone to stand beside me thinking yeah. oh, she's going to start. And he said to me, he grabbed my hand and was like, are you going to start? Are you going to are you done? Are you going to behave? And I was just like, OK. I don't even know what I was gonna say anyway. <laughs> and it was a little that, yeah. it was a little intimidating in that situation. So Ezra, yes, they are very political. 
but they yeah. support your cause. They're pro-Israel, <laughs> like you. <laughs> so, you should abolish the RCMP. Uh, yeah, I'm I with stand you. with Let's abolish, abolish the RCMP. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So that's it. it. That's the we did one one day in this episode. <laughs> but uh next episode we'll we'll plow through a few more days. But this one like the the indigenous stuff, it had a lot there, so. No, there's a lot. Iran, those are hot topics right now. Big big news. Caitlin, I'm going to uh, do a bit of the good news segment this week. I mean, we talked a lot about it with the Iran uh, issue, but it seems like war with Iran is less likely today than it was a couple days ago. But there are still things to be concerned about. Trump is unstable and does not think strategically on these issues. And our liberal government was kind of silent on this whole issue. And that's a problem. There might be some strategic reasons for trying to stay out of it, but I want to know that my government isn't going to march into war because some asshole president stumble fucks his way into a military conflict. So one way to be proactive on this is to contact your MPs, especially your liberal MPs, because the conservatives are probably not going to listen and the NDP probably already agree with you, and try to get them to vocally condemn these kinds of military actions. I know in our town, so London, we will be attending a rally for us tomorrow, which is Friday, outside the office of Peter Fragiscatos, to try to convince him that war with Iran Iran, would be a terrible idea. Even, even if, as I said, it looks like we may be in the clear on that front. This might not be relevant, depending on when I finally get the podcast out, but uh, this rally will be at 4.30 on Friday at his office, uh, Friday the 10th. So uh, everyone, stay safe. You know? <laughs> or don't. Or don't. Be dangerous. Be radicals. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> if you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial dot. Jesus Christ. Patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have an Instagram account, which is news imperial. We have a private Facebook group called imperial news. We also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter. And lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And if you work for the United States military establishment, don't give Trump an insanely stupid option so he can live out his hyper-masculine fantasy and bring us all to the point of annihilation. In fact, don't give him any options at all. Dissolve yourself. Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields.